You are listening to Radio Nova. And now for our second segment of the show with Sarah. Hi, um, I'm going to be talking about the discrimination against sex workers. I'm going to start off by talking about the stigma that surrounds their job. Most sex workers, particularly ones that work on the street, are seen as unclean. They're seen as they can't hold down a real job. Um, they also are stigmatized a lot within the institutions like the police um, and the law. Um, they're also seen as uh, not able to make good decisions. So, for example, if they had like children and that's the only way they can get income, they're looked down on. Um, this is particularly worse for sex workers who contract STDs. They can be marginalized by fellow sex workers um, and this also creates a barrier to treatment for them as well. So they'll be scared to go to the hospitals, they go get treatment because they feel that they will be discriminated against. Criminalization makes it also dangerous to work for sex workers, particularly on the street. If something happens, if they get robbed, if they're trigger warning, raped as well, then they can't go to the police because it's criminal in, in a lot of countries. Um, it becomes dangerous to then carry condoms with them while they go and work in case stopped by the police, which also increases the risk of SED and pregnancy. Um, on the topic of rape, sex workers um, are often raped majority of the time because people seem to think that because they're getting, they're paying for it, that they receive the sex automatically. But it's also what they fail to take in is that sex workers can deny the sex. They can say, I don't want to have sex with you for this money. Like, no matter how much money you have, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. um, but because they're selling their body for sex, it, the, oops, sorry, the lines kind of get blurred and the consumer just automatically thinks they can receive the sex. But sex workers are human. Like, consent is vital, 100%, for them to actually go to work and feel safe. If they are raped and they want to go to court, they essentially stand no chance. It's like a zero in a hundred chance that they'll actually be taken seriously. There's no sympathy. And because of their profession, the court usually thinks that she's been asking for it. They're also at a disadvantage if they have vulnerabilities. So, for example, their mental health, um, if they've had a previous intimacy with the offender. So if they've previously allowed the offender to have sex with them for money, but then this time they said no, they'll they won't listen. They will, they will just be like, we've had sex with them before, so you, why would you not have sex with them now? Um, the, if they consume any form of alcohol or drugs, it makes it less likely that the rape will actually be classified as a crime. When sex workers have been murdered, they have been referred to as the less dead due to their status and their marginality. So when you're, the Jack the Ripper was murdering prostitutes, they would just, they wouldn't, kind of placed on a high pedestal as someone that would just, an innocent, just walking down the street, they would have been murdered. Um, they're not reported as missing straight away or even at all. So when sex workers are kidnapped or murdered, they it takes months to even to come up on the system that they're actually been missing. Um, Street-based sex workers have elevated rates of drug use and it is the most dangerous and least well-paid form of sex work, which is why there needs to be sort of motion set in place to protect them. So in Amsterdam, there's obviously the red light district where the sex is almost sort of put in... What am I looking for? So, for example, brothels is an actual building. You go in, you pay, you have sex, and then you leave. Mm -hmm. It's regulated. It's, yeah, that's what I'm looking for, regulated. Mm. Thank you. 
And my point is that it is possible to legalize and normalize sex work. It's mm -hmm. not. I think the problem is that sex is still stigmatized in the 21st century, which is ridiculous. But if we if we take away the stigma of actually selling your bodies for sex, then we can almost sort of protect the people working because if you for any other job, it's you have your human rights, you have your regular pain, you have your health insurance, but mm -hmm. with sex workers, especially street-based sex workers, it is they're sort of on their own, mm -hmm. essentially. In the porn industry, violence against women is justified, essentially. You've got um like different genres of sex, you've got the BDSM and if a woman is pretty much like beaten up and for as long as it's recorded, they sort of pass it off as, oh, it's okay, it's just a fetish for someone and they're paying for it, so it's all right. Um, so there's a huge gender bias in sex work where women are marginally exploited by men and... Oh, to no one's surprise. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I have a question. What's their classification? What do you call professional sex workers? Because uh, I see these girls loading up pictures of themselves on OnlyFans mm. and they, they're fairly saving their houses and doing what they want. And then there is the street, people standing on the streets, actually, who people go to and pay and have sex with. And mm -hmm. then there is the people in the porn industry. I read something funny that uh, if you have sex and it's recorded, it's not a crime because then it's considered acting. But uh, on the, so what is the classifications that you've put up? Like, who is a sex worker, professional sex worker in this discussion? Well, during uh, when the pandemic hit, a lot of like street based sex workers moved online for OnlyFans because obviously they couldn't go outside. So I think um, anyone can, to be honest, anyone could be like a legitimate sex worker. I think when they move to place like the porn industry, they kind of blur the lines a bit because they're being exploited during that industry so they could say oh yeah you're a professional but you're still being exploited if you understand what i'm saying yeah i get what you're saying i'm, I'm, I'm not asking i'm not uh, asking about the discrimination i i know it's all you're saying but i'm just saying like who is classified as a professional sex worker is it the one who works in the brother or is it the one on the street or I, th I think you need to take away the word the word uh, professional I mean you're yeah. a sex worker so from the moment yeah. you sell your body that's and, what I wanted to know you get money from it you know and of course the porn industry is a bit of a, a, a different branch because you do there are many people that do want to be in the porn industry women and men and they are very happy with it and there are people who are uh, doing it maybe for the wrong reason or just figure out that actually it's not all that and mm -hmm. end up stuck in the system and, and, and sad story of people taking drugs or being abused. And you can find lots of videos of people, uh, actresses in the porn industry that talk about their experience. And I think it's very good to hear because uh, you have some strong individuals out there that are doing it and that they know they're, what they're doing and they say, you know, they go to casting and they realize the differences between going to a casting and having someone saying, oh, we're just going to have sex mm. just for the casting. And it's like, no, I'm not having sex with you for this casting because this is not the procedure. But, you know, some people are aware. And then prostitution, prostitution on the streets, right? Uh, from the moment it's not legal in the country, then you have no rights as mm -hmm. the sex worker. Mm. Um, 
and if we compare to the Netherlands, where yes, it's um, it's uh, it's a it's it's a bit better because the girls have to do the health checkup, the girls have to uh, be in certain spaces and show up at certain meetings and and are somewhat protected. It's a, it's a famous uh, quarter in the city, so it's highly regulated. But um, yeah, I mean. So should every country do that and find a space in every big city for having the prostitutes or having like some sort of hotel for them? So then they are a bit safer. Uh, should we address uh, the population that buys those services? You know, why the reason why behind it? Is it mm -hmm. um, a, a need? Uh, is it a pleasure? Is it a desperation? You know, what's the story there? Um, yeah, and then... Those sex illegal sex workers uh, have no, n not much help, not no, not many rights, right? But it's a lot of it's more and more association also that are there to help them and to go to them, uh, and you know like uh, women buses that come by and um, provide them with health checks and provide them with uh, psychological support because I think it's a lot of them that needs to talk about what's happening mm -hmm. and that. Even if they're stuck in the system, it's um, you know it's it's good to talk to somebody and to know that you you have a possibility to come out of it. But um, yeah, it's. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it should be treated like any other occupation, and although that it's not really like some people don't regard it on the same level as other occupations, like it happens anyway. Mm -hmm. So like what you were saying about whether we should have every country having like a space and like a kind of regulation for them. I feel like there should be because it, like it is going to happen anyway and it's like whether it's just going to end up being something dangerous or not because it doesn't have to be potentially dangerous mm. as like you're seeing in yeah. Amsterdam and stuff. So. And I do think a lot of the arguments against it are like ethical arguments, mm. which I think is interesting because what makes it unethical? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And then, mm -hmm. and then you get into like the kind of a gray area of, of religion and that not everybody's religious so should we you know what I mean yeah. mm -hmm. I, I just think that aspect if we could remove kind of the religious aspect and focus on kind of just the governmental aspect and the aspect of like people's safety that would really simplify the issue I feel like no I totally agree I think the focusing on kind of the moral aspects of it like oh because a lot of the reasons why so in the UK it's not legal because mm -hmm. the UK is a Christian country so I think they focus on the fact that it's basically immoral than the actual safety of the women working right, which is right. the main problem okay thank you so much for your subject uh, Sarah it's Ampun's turn to talk um today I want to talk about microaggressions um, I think it was a term coined by uh, Harvard psychologist professors, something Sue, Dr. Sue, or something, I don't really remember. But basically, microaggressions is a term used for daily verbal behavior or environmental slights, whether it's intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile degradation or negative attitude towards, negative attitude towards stigmatized or culturally marginalized groups. So basically, mostly stores people of color uh, and sometimes as now is being more people of alternative genders as well mm -hmm. and most people feel like uh, oh but he's being so 
uh, what's the word, sensitive. Like people are being sensitive when uh, certain things are said towards them. And I've been living in Norway for quite a bit. And I come to the conclusion that the Norwegian society is one of the most micro-aggressive society oh. in the world because people here are more shy to actually say a lot of things where it's, some American can just say it and walk away mm-hmm. or some British will say it after two two bottles of beer. <laughs> here is very shy people, so micro-aggressiveness has been highly here. And people here, they people think like, oh, but I'm just asking a question. And why should you be, um, why should you be uh, like offended about it? But uh, I think it was a study by a professor, a sociologist professor in the UK, found out that mm-hmm. most black people feel under pressure to represent their group. Like you know, personally, I'm against this idea of uh, representation. Like oh, we need to add a black person to like form feel represent- the quota. So mm-hmm. the quota, like sound, representation. Yeah. And just a couple of days, I was sitting with uh, a friend of mine. He had just uh, gone for a job interview at a very huge company in mm-hmm. Norway. And he found out that he was the only black person in the in- people to be interviewed. And he found it a little bit no, sketchy mm-hmm. because he was asking that, okay, these guys are going to recruit 22 people from all over Norway who has just completed a master's in economics or business, how is it that I'm the only black person? Mm -hmm. Because my class alone, about five black people from my class alone, who I know had sort of applied for this, so am I here to fill the quota? And uh, there was a white girl that sitting beside him, and they they were talking. And then the girl said, ah, but representation is good. And he didn't feel very comfortable with it, so he came in with night told him that I, if I go somewhere and I'm told to be represent to represent represent a whole racial group or represent who, right? It's kind of ambiguous to me. Most of this uh, macroaggressive um, term, uh, comments are very ambiguous statements. For example, uh, one of my closest friends in Norway is uh, her parents are from Somalia. Mm-hmm. And she was born and raised in Norway. She's Norwegian in any way possible. And most times when we go somewhere and people ask her, where are you from? And she says, Homlia, which is a syllable of Oslo. And then mm-hmm. they ask her, no, 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 no. Where are you really from? Oh my God. And then she goes, Akeshus, which is the area. And then they go like, where is your parents from? It's oh like, oh, God. they're from Somalia. And then it's like, yeah, that's what, that's what we mean. And... I remember my first uh, year in Norway, I was living in Trenum, and we had gone out. It was uh, a quiz something, and we had to mix with some students, and uh, we mixed with a couple of guys, and it was an English-based program. And we were speaking English, and then the guy just asked me, you speak good English? Oh, no. And I was like, "Uh, what do you mean? It's like, no, you're from Africa, right? I'm like, yeah, you speak good English. You know, in this instance, he's just thinking that, He's had all these accents and, mm. you know, in his mind, I should speak in a certain way that he didn't hear it so, and I speak good English. Right. And a lot of people would think like, oh, but that's a good comment. But actually, it is really not. A, 
It's mm. really not a good point. And I think he's also kind of making the assumption that people in Africa don't speak English. Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah. yes, they do. <laughs> what? And most times you get this uh, comment, like, you know, when you go to, like, a conference or something, and then they say, you were credit to your race. I'm like, credit to my race? What? Mm. what do you mean? It's like, oh, you're doing so well. I'm like, yeah, what are you Compared to what the rest yeah. of the population is right. not doing like anything. They, I mean, they wouldn't the... say that to a white man. No, they no. wouldn't say that to a white man. They no, wouldn't no, say no. you speak good English no. or you're a credit to your race. That is weird as heck. What? And um, I have this problem with uh, a lot of people who date people of color, especially when I hear them say, uh, "I don't see color." It's, it really upsets me a lot, and I feel like. You being in a relationship with a person of color does not eliminate the struggles of people of color every day, everywhere. Mm. So you saying that word, I do not see color. I feel like you're taking so much away because there's a lot happening and you're denying a whole ethnic or racial experience that people are having. Mm -hmm. So I feel very upset when I hear people say, Oh, me, I have black friends. I do not see color. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it chills me a little bit out. Like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? I think yeah, one of the most funniest uh, things that I hear people say is, I'm not a racist. And you go, oh, why? Because I have black friends. I have, you know, having black friends does not instantly negates you or instantly covers you from mm. Donald Trump has black friends you know yeah, right. and he's quite racist yeah Tucker mm. Carlson has black friends or he claims to have black friends mm-hmm. and he's as racist as they come so it's not really it's not a thing and you know, I have a lot of female black friends obviously and they have this complaint about how people talk about their hair and I I grow my hair long and for quite a bit now, I've had these questions about my hair that starting to weird me out. Like, oh, do you have any special soap for your hair? I'm like, I just buy from Kiwi. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> buy whatever is like mostly I buy whatever is cheap. Like, oh, do you, so do you use some shirting in your hair? I'm like, no, not really. Just leave it the way it is. And is is this situation where most black women who have like made it, they've they've done really well in life. They are like CEOs, and then they go to places, and then people just overlook them, and then they start talking to the others because they don't think a black woman should be in that position. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, it's like it's this thing like you don't really see it, but it, it's really there. And I have this story. I went for an interview somewhere, and. You know, Really nice interviewers talking back and forth, and then the guy just asked me, like, "So what do you do with your hair?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" It's like, "Oh, but it's not normal." What? At that moment, I knew I didn't want the job anymore. So I know <laughs> I turned up, straightened up myself, and I was like, "Oh, what do you mean? Like, what do you also do with your hair?" And then he's like, "I don't know, nothing. Like, but your hair is not normal." And then he t- started touching his hair, like. It's very short. It's like I'm like, oh, so you think because I leave my hair long, it's not normal. But you cut your hair, so yours is normal. And then it was like absolute dead quiet in the room. And I was like, 
it was nice meeting you guys. Let's do this again. <laughs> and I just walk out. Oh, you know. And to them, they felt like I was being oversensitive. Because when I was working out, that's what the lady said. It was like, why is he being so sensitive about his hair? So they didn't even get the get why, why I was not happy mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's quite strange. Just yesterday, I saw a video of uh, Shaq. And he was talking about why he paid for 15 of his friends to enroll in the University of Phoenix because uh, he would go to meetings with his accountants and lawyers. And the moment they get there, he's overlooked and mm-hmm. they just talk to his accountants and lawyers like he doesn't understand. So he took a master's just to show people that he knows what he's doing at these business meetings. And I feel like it happens to a lot of people of color, like, oh, the best qualified person must get the job thinking that oh, the black guy is probably there because of representation. So it kind of belittles people's achievements that mm-hmm. you hear because you're filling a quota or you hear because of your skin color. But most people are there because they've, they've, they've worked hard and fought hard to be there. And I, I feel like in you know living in a country where there's a lot of white people, this in no way they have a name for it, like... Uh, I think it translates to daily racism. Like, mm. it's fine. It's normal. You, you should. This. You shouldn't be bothered with this. Just move on. This is not the big issue. That mm-hmm. you in. You in. So, but uh, I don't really. I feel like it's not the best best option mm-hmm. for people. It it affects your mental health and your self esteem and your self confidence and even your daily thoughts because then you have a lot more like. Am I sensitive? Did I overreact over this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mostly you have done nothing wrong about it. So, But um, yeah, uh, definitely a topic that we need to bring back. But uh, this uh, daily racism, I'll just add this, that people don't talk back. You know, those comments, they keep flying every day from mm-hmm. young children to grown mm-hmm. up adults uh, to people who are supposed to be educated. Those comments should not fly. And uh, we, when we get them, we, we have to stop those people and we have to educate them. It's not mm-hmm. just enough to say, don't say that. Mm-hmm. This is ridiculous. It's like mm-hmm. you really have to uh, dig into their brain to make them see because they, for them, it's, it's out of this world. They don't know. Right. 